everyone, it's me again. You know me. If you don't know me, well, then you won't know me. If you don't know me by now, just like Simply Red sang. I think it was Simply Red, yes. Oh well, you'll never, never know me. <laughs> so, what's been going on in your corner of the universe, in my little corner of the universe? Eh, you know, this is just a time to you know, hang out, try new things, things that haven't been done before for quite a while, experiment. Look, if you're trying to figure out something, if you want to experiment with something that you've been scared of, not really sure what people would think of, now is the time. Now is totally the time. Dye that hair. I would normally say get that tattoo, but I really don't think the tattoo parlors are open right now, so I might have to wait on that one. But... Yeah, try stuff. Try random stuff. And if it doesn't look good, people will understand. I would understand. I'm growing my hair out longer. And, eh, I'm not sure I'm going to do that again, so I might actually get a, a, a mohawk of sorts. Not a really long one, but just enough to make people kind of wonder. At any rate, um, just wanted to bring up that one of the things I'm doing now, which is started, has become a phenomenon, is uh, participating in a virtual choir. It's basically, you know, since choirs can't meet nowadays, and uh, which is really sad. Actually, choirs now, um, yeah, we can't meet. And think about this. When I recently was in a Zoom call with one of my... Well, with, yeah, with one of my directors, he actually brought up the idea that singing in a choir nowadays, instead of being, you know, wonderful and life-affirming and uh, great for the soul, could actually be one of the most dangerous things, one of the most deadly things we can do. And just think about it. What do we do when we're in a choir? We get together in a relatively small room with really good acoustics and we sit next to each other so we can listen to each other sing and we take in really deep breaths before we sing and then we expend all the air that we have in our lungs while we're singing as well and then we breathe it back in again. We're gasping for breath. It's actually a really good physical exercise otherwise. Breath control is tremendously, <laughs> it's, it's quite a physical exercise. Give it a try sometime. You know, if, you, if you haven't joined a choir, you'll quickly understand how much of a physical exercise singing can be. But nowadays, you do this sort of thing. You, if you gather in a choir and you do all the things that choirs do, you're seriously putting yourself at tremendous risk for contracting disease. And this is really sad, especially for singers like me. Anyone who sings and gets a lot of joy and rapture from singing, um, this was devastating to hear. So, unfortunately, singing is out. At the very least, singing in a choir in an enclosed space with friends and fellow singers is out. But... I've joined a virtual choir um, that is being led by the marvelous Eric Whitaker, 
who is one of the most preeminent choral um, composers alive right now. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, he looks kind of California surfer dude-ish. <laughs> and he's very laid back. And he's he's very uh, very affable. He's neat to, he's neat to see. Um, apparently, it turns out that he's been doing this for quite a while now. Even before coronavirus hit. He's been doing virtual choirs that have uh, brought a lot of joy to, you know, thousands of people around the world. Now, by virtual choir, basically imagine uh, a Zoom call, but with everyone singing all together. Now, we don't all gather at the same time, unfortunately, because if we're doing this from around the world, inevitably someone would get the short end of the stick and we would have to say, all right, please get together at, we want you to wake up at three in the morning and sing with us all. No, that's not going to work. And the lag time that happens, you know, as wonderful technology is nowadays, the lag time would still really suck. And there would be nothing but cacophony. It would be chaotic. Not fun. So, basically, what we all are doing is getting music, sheet music, we are watching videos of Eric Whitaker directing us, or at least directing a set group of four people who are setting the standard by which we're going to be singing. And we're following him and recording our particular part. Once we're done, we submit it to the powers that be, and the powers that be edit it, make sure that everything is just so, and then it's all put together, and I don't know when it's going to actually take place, when it's going to be released onto the unwitting public, but it should happen soon. And I've been listening to this one song that we're doing, it's just one song, and it's actually a fairly simple song, I, I would say deceptively simple. Um, it's a beautiful song called Sing Gently. Thousands of people have already submitted their videos, and I have yet to do it, but that is my task for this week, to practice, to learn this music, and to submit the video. And I suspect that learning the music is going to be the easiest part of this. Recording, the technical aspects are not going to be easy, <laughs> so we will figure this out at some point. So, at any rate, that is what's going on. That's the fun that I'm having. Other than that, I'm looking through cookbooks, trying to find wonderful recipes for cakes and cookies and things beyond the typical what everyone is making right now. S uh, sourdough bread and banana bread. And I want to push it a little bit more. I want to have more fun. I want to create something more fabulous. Up. I'm getting finances in order. I'm cleaning my place up, which seems to just, you know, it's a constant struggle against entropy. Um, but it just keeps on coming, so that's good. At any rate, 
I hope you're finding some meaning and some joy somehow or other at this time. Whether you are working on site, wherever you happen to be, if you're an essential worker, or if you are working from home, and especially finding joy and peace if you are a healthcare worker or if you are a teacher. I would say probably most of all the healthcare workers. Um, because you are in the front lines dealing with things. You are trying to stay safe and you are trying to stanch the flow of this illness as effectively as possible. And I, I cannot express my gratitude If I knew some way to express my gratitude more than just expressing gratitude, that would be wonderful. I would love that. But at any rate, I will be looking around to figure out other ways to express gratitude other than saying thank you. But at least in the time being, thank you for all you do. And I wish you all peace and and joy whenever you can get it, however you can get it. So, that's my wish to you all. Hello again. So, today's podcast, no, it's not brought to you by anyone, at least not yet. Um, but today's podcast is kind of a long one. I apologize about that. Normally, I to keep them a little bit shorter. This is, what, the second one? <laughs> Never mind. Okay, I have the intention on keeping these shorter. Um, I read an article, as you'll hear soon, from Newsweek that I thought was really, really important, though. So I hope you do listen to it, get something out of it. Um, if you don't read Newsweek, that's perfectly fine. That's why I'm here for you. <laughs> Reading these articles for you and giving you a little bit of insight. Um, so I just, you know, I didn't mean to give just a little bit ago, I didn't mean to give short shrift to the teachers who are trying to work through this whole rigmarole. Um, I gave, you know, all the props to the, uh, uh, to the healthcare workers, but you know, when you think about it, the teachers are, were suddenly put in such a tremendously strange position. Unprecedented is one of those words that gets bandied about so much nowadays. It certainly qualifies for the teachers. Okay, yeah, you're teaching your students, you're in front, and you can control them, and then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, we're on spring break, and spring break is not going to end. At least not in school. You will not be coming back to school. You have to start taking teaching classes online with students, uh, hope you can control them, hope you can come up with lesson plans and teach them over Zoom or WebEx meeting or whatever, I'm assuming Zoom is what people are using, and hope all of your students have the capability to meet with you online um, and that they have good cameras and they have good microphones and they're all calibrated just the right way and you can teach them as effectively as if you were in the classroom. <sighs> no, that's a tremendous amount to ask out of any teachers. 
and especially on the fly. You know, they're asking, you know, you're going to have to learn this new software. You make sure that you have the capability of appearing on uh, on this software and on these apps, and your students do as well. Um, I'm sorry if I'm being a little redundant, but teachers are. My heart goes out to you all, and major props to you for dealing with the issues that you have. Yeah, so I don't want to make this too much longer, um, but I will say also, for the graduates of this year, don't want to, you know, every everyone who graduates every year, deserves congratulations for making it through a long, hard haul through academia and then moving on, whether you're graduating from high school or whether you're graduating from college or some other program, postgraduate or what have you. Graduation is always a great time to celebrate. And this year, for graduates of all stripes, the pomp and circumstance and ceremony got just swept out from underneath you. And um, sometimes it's sad to think about. Sometimes it's like, well, yeah. I read a hilarious uh, meme today, I think. It basically said, if you really want to know what graduation feels like, then sit outside, wrap yourself up in a raincoat, and... Uh, listen to a recording of someone reading the phone book for three hours. Actually, not terribly far off. (laughs) There are the speakers who are trying to be as inspirational as all. Then there are the administrators who have to go through all the stuff they have to go through. No, it's, you know, that part's really bad. But it's the celebrating with your friends and celebrating about the ones who care about you, your family, the teachers who have been teaching you and are thrilled to see you succeed. And, you know, that's always fun. And then the graduation parties that happen afterwards. Oh my gosh, the graduation parties that happen afterwards. Those are huge. Those are a blast. And all the stress that you have been building up for the past four years can suddenly just relax. You can release it and you feel free. At least I hope you do. At least in normal years, you do. This year, all that got taken away from you. And I am so sorry that this happened. And I really wish that it were otherwise. You know, there should be celebration happening. Um, But not only is this just like, oh, you can't graduate like we usually do, you can't go through all this ceremony, but when you dig deeper into it, it's just like, this is a symbol of a society that is so profoundly going wrong. Things are just really not working right now. And for the, um, for the graduates, it's an idea, well, this is, this is what you are graduating out into. And I, uh, I wish there was a better way to think about it. Um, but 
to think about it that way is very legitimate. Another way to think about it, and I certainly hope that this bears through, is the idea that the society, the culture, the country that we have known for years and years and years, and that has undergone changes every once in a while, but gradual changes for the most part that people have been able to get used to, that's been upended. What we knew is gone. And what we have been used to is gone. The tools that we have used to cope with things, to make our lives work, to be productive, that's all gone. What's in its place is the graduates, you who have you know, now a great opportunity, a huge opportunity to reconstruct what is, what has been uh, thrown up in the air. It's a great opportunity to make society again, um, in the words of one of my favorite bands, it's a great opportunity to start a new country up, however it can be, and I hope it is a beautiful country and a productive country, a country that works, a country that is provides the best for all of its citizens. Um, so there's your opportunity. You know, things can change now for the better. It's going to be really frightening for a while. It is really frightening right now. But if you can, I hope that you all take the opportunity to change things around for the better. Now, having said that, again, I wish for all of you for the best. And I will now leave you with the article that I read. Cheers. All dressed up and nowhere to go. They were born soon before 9-11, grew up during the Great Recession, and are launching into adulthood amid a global pandemic. How much more can Gen Z take? By Kristen Baller for Newsweek Magazine. And I don't have the date, I apologize. But suffice it to say, early May 2020. The first thing you should know about Natasha Nielsen is that she lives in a house with 11 other 20-something women. Not a sorority house, though the 21-year-old University of Michigan senior did pledge Alpha Gamma Delta freshman year and quickly got accustomed to having a bunch of people around when she needed help with homework, she's a public policy major, or a cheap beer down at Good Time Charlie's, $2.50 drafts on Mug Club Mondays. So when the coronavirus pandemic started tearing through the U.S., her little corner of the world got pretty lonely. U of M's classes are all online now, and the Ann Arbor campus is deserted. Nielsen's graduation ceremony has been canceled, along with the lawn parties, bonfires, and barbecues where she expected she'd be celebrating her final weeks as a student. Most of her roommates have moved back home. 
leaving Nielsen and four other girls in an eerily quiet off-campus house that was buzzing with activity less than a month ago. It's hard not having the support system I had, she says. It's a scary time. In mid-April, without a post-college job lined up and with the prospects looking grim in the current environment, Nielsen wasn't sure how she'd make her rent for May. I was so stressed about money, she says. But just in the nick of time, she landed a job starting May 1st, working the phones for the state Democratic Party, remotely for the foreseeable future, which will tide her over for now. That's a big relief for Nielsen, who still bears emotional scars from the Great Recession and the blow it dealt her family. The resulting financial strain, she says, contributed to her parents' divorce and changed the course of her own life forever. It also left her with ongoing anxiety about her finances. She says, I'm constantly thinking, when is the other shoe gonna drop? The truth is, it already has, landing like a torpedo for Nielsen and the roughly two million other members of the class of 2020, who are now rewriting the script for their entry into adulthood. Just a few months ago, these college seniors were about to graduate into one of the most robust job markets in U.S. history, with record low unemployment amid the longest economic expansion ever. Now, as COVID-19 continues to spread throughout the country, they're facing dwindling employment opportunities and next job offers, throwing one of the most foundational periods of their lives into complete chaos. It's not just about work. They're missing out on milestones like walking across a graduation stage, diploma in hand, and moving into their first adult apartment. Forget about dating and, well, fun. The anxiety these young adults feel is unprecedented, yet totally familiar for a generation whose lives have always been molded by forces out of their control. Many of their first memories were of the terrorist attacks on 9-11 when they were preschoolers and an era-defining financial crisis during their elementary school years that introduced a precarity some of their families never recovered from. Now, they're suffering another body blow, making it feel as if they're living a storyline better suited to the dystopian novels and movies many of them favored growing up. They have no jobs, no money, and no social lives. There are only questions. How will they get through it? When, if ever, will it end? And perhaps most importantly, are they forever doomed? In the meantime, they wait. Our futures are completely put on hold, says Tabitha Bear, 24, a soon-to-be graduate of Arizona State University. Everything is changing. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. The kids aren't all right. Bear is studying business administration, a major she chose specifically, she says, 
because it allowed her to take online classes while working full-time to pay her way through school. In early April, though, Bear was furloughed from her job as a sales support specialist at a local tech company. She interviewed for a new job not too long ago, but COVID-19 forced the company to institute a hiring freeze before she got an offer. Everyone said that business administration was one of those degrees you can do anything with, she says. I didn't know I was susceptible to something like this. Of course, most Americans are feeling pretty out of sorts right now with the country's collective nervous system buzzing with around-the-clock dread. Everyone is second-guessing every trip to the grocery store and Googling coronavirus versus allergy symptoms just to be sure. People are worried about the health of their grandparents, co-workers, family friends. Everyone is watching too much Tiger King. And no one is exactly having an easy go of it career-wise. In just five weeks through April 18th, some 26 million Americans lost their jobs, more than the number who filed for unemployment over the entire 18 months of the Great Recession. Still, it's hard to imagine a group of workers more vulnerable during this period than the ones just getting started. During the last recession, the unemployment rate peaked at 10% for the general population, but hit 19.2% for people aged 16 to 24. I graduated in 2009 and saw how difficult it was then to get our feet on the ladder, says labor market expert Martha Gimbel, a manager of economic research at Schmidt Futures. I think today's graduates are going to have, unfortunately, an even harder time. The early signs aren't exactly encouraging. A college reaction slash Axios pill, yeah, Axios poll, poll last month, found that among college students who had jobs, 75% had already had their work canceled, moved to remote, or delayed. Of the 450 employers listed on the website, is my internship canceled? 69% were reported to have canceled, delayed, or made their internships remote. Only 129 were moving ahead with offers, and just nine were actively hiring. Meanwhile, as business owners across the country scramble to comply with government quarantines, the restaurant, retail, and other bridge jobs people tend to fall back on in times of uncertainty don't exist right now for young 20-somethings trying to figure out their place in the world who tend disproportionately to hold these positions, or anybody else. A lot of the people who graduated into the financial crisis ended up taking jobs they felt they were overqualified for, says Gimbel, the former research director of Indeed.com's hiring lab. Now there's no hiring at all. Even graduate school, historically more popular when folks can't find good jobs during recessions, looks less appealing in this downturn. The move to virtual classes, 
probable cuts in funding to public institutions, and the fear that university endowments could lose billions of dollars because of COVID-19 could make earning an advanced degree a less viable option. There aren't a lot of great choices right now, Gimbel says. Graduates are going to face a really bleak time until this public health crisis gets sorted out. The timing of the pandemic coming just a few months before graduation has only made the situation worse for soon-to-be grads. Online classes have made it impossible to get FaceTime with favorite professors for references or to network at on-campus job fairs. Library closures have thrown a wrench into final exam prep and thesis research. Senior shows, film projects, and theater performances have all been canceled. A few weeks ago, for instance, Annie Lee Daly, a 21-year-old senior at Montserrat College of Art in Massachusetts, was putting the final touches on a gallery show she'd been working on for an entire year. Now, she's back in her childhood bedroom in Rigo Park, Queens, attempting to finish her last semester and some critical career-defining classes without any of the necessary materials or equipment. Her gallery show has been canceled too, and with it, one of the first big chances she had to network with prospective employers and art buyers. A lifetime defined by crisis. For Lee Daly, who was in the fifth grade when the last recession hit, the economic fallout of the pandemic brings back vivid memories of that early time, earlier time. Her dad was an architect, so the housing market crash of 2007 to 2009 hit her family particularly hard. Those events altered our lives, she says. It's scary to have gone through all of that as a kid and to know it's going to happen again. Lee Daly and her peers in Generation Z, born in the 90s and early 2000s, are too young to remember much about what life was like before video chat and Animal Crossing, a video game where players interact with cutesy anthropomorphic animals on a virtual island, and which has surged in popularity amid statewide quarantines. But they are old enough to have already lived through two of the most profound crises in U.S. history, and are getting up close and personal now with a third. They're the first kids to grow up with the 24-hour news cycle at the tip of their iPhone-clenched fingers. And though they've been called lazy and entitled by people who got to be kids before anxieties about climate change and school shootings hung over every young person's head, in reality, they've always had it pretty rough. Their lives have been punctuated by collective national trauma, first with the 2001 World Trade Center attack and later the financial crisis, a period of extreme uncertainty that rocked many of their families with layoffs, bankruptcy, foreclosure, and divorce. When colleges first started announcing they would close campuses to prevent the spread of COVID-19, the class of 2020 grieved the premature end of their senior year. But many weren't exactly surprised that something was about to go terribly, overwhelmingly wrong. Growing up and reading the news 
there's this sense, this general air, that you can't count on things to go uphill, says Drew Pendergrass, a 22-year-old physics major at Harvard University. Pendergrass is, as an o Pendergrass is in an okay spot financially, he says. He's enrolled at the richest university in the world, where he'll be continuing his studies in the fall as a PhD student. But he isn't worry-free. He researches atmospheric pollution based on lab experiments and observations made from airplanes, ground stations, and satellites. Most of these aircraft missions have been canceled due to COVID-19, he says, and the people who work in the research centers that process satellite data risk being furloughed. Without data, Pendergrass's research is in limbo. And while his grants are secure, the shape of the economy is not. Five years down the line, I may be looking at a very different job market, he says. The deep sense of uncertainty Pendergrass and his classmates are experiencing will only add to the emotional distress many Gen Zers already feel. Research has shown that these young people are more anxious and depressed than any other generation, with only 45% saying their mental health is excellent or very good, versus 56% of millennials and 70% of boomers. What are they most stressed out about? Money, 81%. Work, 77%. And health, 75%. All the issues dominating the national consciousness right now. Spending their last college semester in quarantine, bombarded by news about one of the scariest events in modern history, probably won't do much to ease their minds. What we're all going through is just very intense, says Tess Brigham, a San Francisco-based psychotherapist. Gen Zers are still trying to figure out who they are and what life is about, she says. This is a very anxious generation, and this will make them even more so. A lasting impact. Research suggests that the class of 2020's anxiety about the future is not entirely misplaced. Judging by the impact on previous generations, for instance, they are likely to take a pretty big hit to earnings on their first job. Labor economist Lisa Kahn, now a professor at the University of Rochester, found that for each percentage point increase in the unemployment rate, Students who got their degrees during the 1980 to 1981 recession earned about 7% less on average at the start of their careers than those who graduated in better economies. And while the gap narrowed with more job experience, it didn't disappear. Almost 20 years later, those who graduated during the downturn were earning about 2% less with cumulative salary losses of more than $100,000 over their careers. Millennials who entered the workforce during the Great Recession also earned less at first than typical college grads, but hey, potentially good news here, class of 2020. Those with a BA and a full-time job had largely caught up salary-wise a decade later, according to Pew Research. Still, the early hit took a toll. 
Millennials overall have somewhat less in savings than older generations did at their age, which, along with higher levels of student debt, has hampered their ability to buy homes. A 2019 study by the Brookings Institution shows they'll probably have less money to retire on, too. As if all that weren't depressing enough, a new study from Northwestern University and the University of California at Los Angeles found that people who entered the labor market during the early 1980s recession were also more likely than other people to die in middle age from heart disease, lung cancer, liver disease, and drug overdoses, what the researchers referred to as deaths of despair. There are also sociological implications associated with graduating from college during an international crisis, says Corey C. Miller, a Gen Z expert and assistant professor at Wright State University. Almost overnight, in the case of this pandemic, daily routines have shifted to something close to dystopian. Staying indoors, avoiding handshakes, stocking cabinets with cans of cannellini beans and toilet paper, loading up on hand sanitizer. For the class of 2020, these habits that could linger, just as they did for the GI generation, C. Miller says. Now, in their 90s or older, these Americans lived through the 1918 Spanish flu and joined the workforce during the Great Depression. Along the way, they picked up some deeply ingrained habits, penny-pinching, hoarding emergency supplies that stuck with them for the rest of their lives. What happens in our late teens and early adulthood has a profound impact on how we behave later on, C. Miller says. Of course, that's not always a bad thing. Alicia Frisson, a 25-year-old law student graduating from Howard University, says watching her parents struggle through the financial crisis has motivated her to always save as much money as she can. And talking to law students from the 2008 era, many of whom struggled to find work and pay off student loans, drove her to look for a job long before her last day on campus. Friesen recently accepted a position working in a public defender's office in New Orleans. Some things are beyond her control, though. It's unclear when Friesen Frisson will be able to take the bar exam and whether it will be online, in person, or postponed indefinitely. Her family lives in a different state and it hurts that she can't be with them right now. A relative passed away recently and the spread of COVID-19 prevented them from having a funeral. I have wanted to practice law since I was seven years old, Frison says. Every step of my life, I've tried to position myself to become a good litigator. I just couldn't plan for something like this. Keeping calm and carrying on. The good news is Gen Z is resilient. Far from the lazy, social media-obsessed stereotypes they've been pigeonholed as, today's college seniors are ambitious and determined just like the GI generation was. It's insane what we've been through, says Christian Santiago, a senior at St. John's University in Queens. This month, 
Santiago will graduate with a communication arts degree that he wants to use in the television and film industry. For a long time, he'd planned on getting his own apartment in Brooklyn and a temporary gig at a restaurant or coffee shop, coffee shop to pay for it. I was very excited about living on my own, he says. You're only young once. Instead, he's back in the Bay Area, sleeping on his parents' couch, and has no clue when he'll be able to fly back east. Film production in New York City has been suspended indefinitely, so there aren't any career-worthy jobs he can apply to. And since almost every restaurant and bar has closed to comply with statewide quarantine orders, he can't work at any of those either. These days, Santiago spends most of his time looking for jobs on LinkedIn and working on the promotion of his new short film. His friends back in New York are starting to get stir-crazy in self-isolation, hosting Zoom parties to pass the time and creating TikTok video after TikTok video. So they'll have no excuse not to watch his film, he jokes. Another new pastime for pals. Some have been downloading dating apps like Bumble and Tinder and swiping right on everyone just to have an honest-to-God conversation, he says. I think they need some sort of human interaction. If COVID-19 keeps Santiago on the West Coast for much longer, the game plan, he says, is to try to find a job, any sort of job, save every single dime that I have, and use that to move back to New York. In other words, he's not giving up. All told, the class of 2020's losses so far are mostly abstract. A virtual graduation party here, an empty sorority house there. But they're more than just symbols. Even the simple act of walking across a graduation stage is a big moment for a lot of us, says Katya Vera, a 22-year-old Princeton University student. Vera was born in Mexico and is the first person in her family to make it to college. After Princeton announced its 2020 commencement ceremony would be held online, she started an online petition to reschedule it later in the year when the threat of the virus has passed. This is not the worst possible thing that could happen, Vera says. I'm going home to a safe space. It could always be worse. But at the end of the day, this is a dream of mine walking across the stage, throwing our hats in the air, is really symbolic. I've been looking forward to this practically my whole life. There are a lot of things that keep Vera up at night. She wants to apply to medical school, but needs to take a few classes in the fall to be eligible. Will those classes still be held? And will they count toward her pre-med requirements if they're all online? Will she be able to work this summer as she'd planned? Or will she have to take out a loan to cover her living expenses? She can't escape the realities of the coronavirus pandemic. One of her last classes at Princeton is an epidemiology course, and she's part of a family phone chat that buzzes every so often with a new scary headline. But through a mix of, dog mix of doggedness, fatigue, and an unmistakable, the world is my oyster determination that somehow, miraculously, hasn't faded, she's pressing forward. So is Natasha Nielsen, 
the University of Michigan public policy major, who, along with her friends, is figuring new ways to deal with the loneliness of social distancing and how to get on with their lives. She goes on Animal Crossing dates with her boyfriend, playing the Nintendo Switch game together from their respective homes. And she hops on a Zoom call every Monday with the friends who used to gather at Good Time Charlie's, the pub near campus. The effects of the pandemic are so personal and detrimental to our lives, but everyone is dealing with this, Nielsen says. I have to remind myself that everyone is in this together. Kristen Baller is a freelance business and culture reporter based in Brooklyn.